0: welcome to the how of business with henry lopez and david begin the podcast that helps you
1: start run and grow your small business and now here are your hosts welcome to the how of business this is henry lopez my guest is nathan hirsch nathan welcome back to the show yeah thanks so much for having me excited to be back absolutely it's been it's been a while but uh nathan is going to share with us an update of what what's been going on with him exciting uh, opportunities that he's got now going on after selling his previous business. And then we're going to dive in on, as he says, how to crack the code on virtual assistance to help you grow your small business. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Nate Hirsch is the co-founder of Outsource School, his latest venture. He's also a lifelong entrepreneur, though. Nate Hirsch, along with his business partner, Connor Gilliban, well, they built their first e-commerce business to $25 million in total sales using virtual assistants. Then they scaled and sold their second company, FreeUp, and they built that from five thousand dollar investment to a twenty excuse me a twelve million dollar in yearly sales business, hundred percent with a remote team of virtual assistants. Nate was our guest back on show uh, episode rather eighty two way back when, back in uh, February of twenty seventeen, back on episode eighty two, and in that episode Nate shared his entrepreneurial journey to that point in time, and we focused on that episode on his uh, thoughts and insights on building an e-commerce business. Nate's latest business, again, is is a venture called Outsource School, an education platform teaching entrepreneurs how to crack the code on hiring and scaling with virtual assistants. And by the time this episode goes live in March, his flagship course called Cracking the Code 1.0 will be available. So go to the show notes page for this episode And there'll be a link to this great course. He's going to follow then with other content, including mini courses and software to make hiring and scaling online a lot simpler. Nate still lives in Winter Park, Florida area. So Nate Hirsch, once again, welcome back to the show.
0: Yeah, I love talking about scaling and hiring and using virtual assistants. So it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and you you've done it well, obviously. So just to kind of update us on what's happened in the last couple of years, obviously the big news is you sold free up. Um, I'm always curious. I read a little bit about it in some of the stuff I'm doing the research, but it's always interesting to me. Uh I think that one of the hardest things we have to do as entrepreneurs is decide when we're ready to sell. And sometimes it's because somebody comes to us or what whatever the reason for the exit is there's that emotional attachment. You built this thing, you know, you and Connor built this. So why did you decide to sell? Yeah.
0: And I think we didn't go into 2019 with the mentality, oh, by the end of the year, we have to unload this thing. But I think for as logical entrepreneurs, there's only so many ways you run a business. You either run it forever, you run into the ground, you get an investor, which I personally don't want to do because I feel like I'd be working for someone else, or you sell it. So we're always open to the possibility of someone coming around. And one of our clients the Hoth, who is actually located about an hour and a half from me in Tampa, they reached out to us and they had been a client for over a year. They really loved the service. They wanted to get into the the freelancer the VA space and they didn't want to build it up from scratch. So they got some information from us on the behind the scenes. They ended up presenting us with an offer that we felt was very fair, if not aggressive. And from there it was a a very tough decision and and the due diligence began and they had a a million questions for us. They want to know every little thing about the business behind the scenes and we had just as much due diligence for them. We wanted to know about all their other acquisitions, how they went, what their experience is, how they treat clients, how they treat partners, how they treat the internal team. And we didn't want to sell free up to someone who's going to drive it into the ground or make us look bad or treat clients or partners in, in a way that, that we don't want them to be treated. So we, we kind of saw it once we got all the information. And Mark Hardgrove and David Martin are, are fantastic entrepreneurs that, that I got to know very well we really felt like from a business perspective, they were the best people to take free up from a $12 million a year business to a $50 million a year business. And they treated people well. They had one employee employer of the year for the past three years or something in Tampa. And then it came down to our internal team that we really like 35 VAs in the Philippines, some of which I've worked with for years. And that was by far the hardest part of making that decision is not being able to work with them anymore. But we were able to, to take $500,000 from the deal and give it to our team in the Philippines along with securing their jobs and keeping in place the, the bonus and race programs that, that we had set with them to make sure that they were taken care of and once we kind of finalized that, we, we really looked at the overall thing as a win, win, win for everyone, a win for Connor and I, a win for Mark and David, and, and they'll be able to take free up to the next level, a win for the internal team and a win for the, the clients and the freelancers and the partners that we think are going to benefit a lot from the acquisition. So when you get to the point where it's a win, win for everyone, uh, it's tough to turn that down. And obviously yeah. it was a, a tough decision and one that we ultimately made
1: yeah so yeah absolutely great opportunity do were you and connor who's your who is your business partner then and now did you guys were you both on the same page initially about all right let's consider this or was there some difference of opinion there initially
0: we were both on the same page let's consider it let's get the information let's talk about it and we were also on the same page that if either one of us didn't want to do it we wouldn't do it and okay we, we were kind of we were good either way. I mean, we, we love free up. We still love free up. We're a client of free up now. We still believe in the platform. So we kind of went into it with the mentality of let's not let this be a distraction because the last thing we want to do is go through months and months. And that's how long it took to go back and forth and do the due diligence and get the lawyers involved. And then the deal falls through for some reason. And we've been neglecting the business and then we don't even have a, a good business to go back to. So right. we kept reminding ourselves to, to stay focused, to act like we're not going to sell the business because we really didn't know if it was actually going to happen. And we, we were fortunate enough that the month before we sold free up, it was actually our, our best month ever from a number standpoint. So it really kind of showed that we stayed focused and then together we, we made that decision to sell it.
1: Yeah. But, but you said it, selling a business. I just recently went through it in part with my business partner, in selling our car washes, it's almost a full-time job. So how did you manage to do that and also continue to run the business?
0: It was tough. It was stressful. I mean, what made it great was Mark and David are very professional. They they were very logical. They were they were I like to have very efficient meetings and get to the point. And, and they were very much in the same boat. So the due diligence, although there was a lot of it, that went by pretty quickly. We would ask them questions, they would give us direct answers, vice versa. Once you got the lawyers involved, that was a whole nother mind-numbing experience. <laughs> and uh, having them go back and forth and and talk about the the smallest details that we didn't even think of yet and trying to hash that out and then having to read pages and pages of legal documents is enough to to make your head explode but the, that last part wasn't that much fun but the, the rest of it i mean we just continued to remind each other to stay focused and we met every week like normal we set goals we accomplished the goals when we said we were going to do something we did and we probably went from working eight to 10 hours a day to working 10 to 15 hours a day. But we felt like we needed to do it in order to keep the business going and to make sure that we, we actually made good decisions when it came to, to selling the business.
1: Did you divvy the responsibility, the, the work of it, uh, handling the due diligence? Did you divvy it up or was it one of you that did it? To, how did you manage that? Did you help each other through that process? I mean, that's not a good question. Did, in other words, the, the actual working of it, did both of you do it together?
0: Yeah, so in terms of running the business, Connor and I have always divided and conquered from our strengths and our weaknesses. And when we got due diligence questions, questions that applied to Connor's part of the business, he would get the information for and answered and stuff that applied to my part of the business. I would do that. Now, when it came to the the legal documents, that's both of us. I mean, we didn't want something where I read half of it, he read half of it, and we're kind of depending on the other half. And I mean, you, it, there's no kind of a effective way to do that in my mind. So it was a lot of, of reading and rereading and, and talking and meeting and and making sure that we were understanding things the same way. Because sometimes when you're reading a, a legal doc and you're not a lawyer, you, you might interpret things differently, and then you hear someone else's interpretation, and you think, man, that that might be right, or oh, wow, we need clarification. Let's call our lawyer back. So there's a lot that goes on there.
1: Yeah. Did did you decide, you know, one of the big challenges when you're ready to sell a business or contemplating the sale, I've been through it before, you have to decide, are you going to keep that secret even internally? Or how are you going to share it? What did you all decide there as to, you know, with your team? Did they know? Only some people knew. How did you handle that?
0: Yeah, no one knew be, besides Connor and I. And we we kind we did that strategically. We didn't want to tell everyone we're selling it and then have the deal fall through and then have to re-motivate everyone. Right, and right. I, I think one of the biggest testaments to how awesome our team was, and we told Mark and David how great our team was, and we didn't even let Mark and David meet our team before we sold the business to them. So they had a lot of trust in us and they've been really happy with the team. But
1: Really, we, so they didn't talk to them uh, throughout the due diligence process is what you're saying.
0: No, we, we told them from the beginning that we can't proceed forward if you're going to talk to the team in any way. And as soon as the, the document's signed, then you can meet the team.
1: So Very interesting.
0: Yeah, wow. so we, we signed the document. We, we tell the team, which was sad. They were crying. We were very emotional. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. um, and, and then we, we introduced them. And one of the coolest things, so by, for, in between from when we signed the document, we told the team, and then when we announced it to the world, and we wanted to make sure the announcement went well too – you have 35 full-time VAs that know a lot of freelancers on the platform, that know a lot of clients on the platform, and it didn't get out at all. No one told anyone. Wow. When we broke it a week, week and a half later, people were shocked. No one had any idea it was coming. So I think that kind of was just a testament to everything we were telling Mark and David about how awesome our team was, how you can trust them with, with anything, and, and they really held true to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That was proof of that. Okay, one last question on that, and then we'll move on. Was there at any point, uh, I, I know it's happened to me, where you thought this, this deal is not going to happen? We're at, we're at a stalemate, we, we can't agree on certain things, whatever the case might have been. Did, it ever, uh, did you ever have that point in the process where you thought this is not going to happen?
0: I think there were certain parts, I don't think there was ever a point where we just couldn't agree on something. That That's something that I really liked during the process is Mark and David and Connor and I, we were very reasonable. If there was something that we weren't on the same page or the lawyer brought something out, we just talked about it and there was some compromise. We would compromise one thing, they would compromise the other. So, so that was good. I think from our side, I mean we don't, we don't know what the other side is thinking, right? Like we can, they're they're asking us tons and tons of due diligence questions. We're getting it to them in our mind. We love the business. Everything's going great. We're looking at the numbers. They look good to us, but we don't know how they're interpreting it. They might see something that's a huge red flag to them. They have a lot more business experience than we do. So in our mind, every time we hit that send button and send them that the answers to the due diligence, in our head, what we're thinking, man, is, are they going to see something that's going to get them to back out?
1: Right, right. Yeah. So you were in partnership in that business with Connor, you're in partnership with him again. Why, why do you continue to partner with Connor? And I asked that question because I, I work better in partnerships. I talk about this topic of partnerships a lot on the show. You know, people have such differing opinions on partnerships, but, but why do you continue to partner with Connor?
0: yeah finding a good business partner is really hard as you know and and i got really fortunate with connor he was actually one of my first hires in the amazon business and that was before i even had a hiring process so it was total luck total fluke and The cool thing about Connor is we just complement each other very well. So we have the same core sense of values and beliefs of high level of customer service and treating people well and honoring our word. But in terms of skill set and even personality, we're completely different people. I'm more high energy. I'm more maybe on the pessimistic side, not that that I hate everything, but that I'm always trying to think of what could break, what could go wrong. And he's much more on the optimistic side, thinking of the future and the potential. He's much more long-term. I'm much more short-term. He's a much better writer. I'm much better at going on on podcasts. So we we complement each other very well from a skill side and we have the same values. And we have 10 years of working with each other and honoring our word and building that trust. I don't know how you you ever replace that with someone brand new. And, And bottom line, we just enjoy working with each other. And I mean, that was a conversation we had after the sale is do we want to keep working together? And both of us really knew, yes, at least I did. And I was very happy that that Connor thought the same way.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So then tell us briefly what, what led to launching Outsource School
0: yeah so throughout the past four years of free up people have been asking us hey do you have a course do you have some way where we can get more of a structured set of how we interview how we onboard how we train how we manage and how to use a va for social media how to use a va to go on podcasts and we put out blog articles we've gone on podcasts and webinars but we never really had time to really dive into it and be like hey this is how we do it here's cheat sheets here's a video walking through exactly how we did it and so when we launched free up and, or I'm sorry, when we sold free up, we, we kind of sat down and we said, Hey, what's next? We're, we're very well known in the VA space right now. And if we wait five years to launch this, who knows if we'll, we'll still be relevant. So and now is kind of the the time if we want to do it. And we, we kind of took a little bit of time off. It was right around the holidays when we sold it. So we spent time with our families and, got away from business and the stress that was going through the sale and we were grouped and we said hey let's see what what we can do here and there's also a developer who's behind the scenes his name's russell and he was part of the buyout on free up he was a developer who got um, equity with the free up transaction and so he's working he's over there he's working on software that has to do with vas connor and i decided to start working on our first course which is cracking the va code our iota method iotm which stands for interviewing onboarding training managing and we really wanted to break down, hey, we had 35 full-time VAs in the Philippines, and we didn't just wake up one day and hire 35 people and cross our fingers and hope it worked out. We had a process for interviewing them and onboarding the ones that we wanted to hire and then training them. And then once we've invested all this time, energy, and money, keeping them happy, keeping them around, keeping turnover low. We had less than 5% turnover. So we wanted to give people an insight on in how we built that team so people could do it themselves and we think it's going to add a ton of value. And the other side of it, we love virtual assistants. We love people in the Philippines, freelancers from all over the world. And we wanted to continue to give back. With free up. one of the things that I'm most proud of is we paid out millions and millions of dollars to VAs and freelancers every single year. And with Outsource School, we're partnering with a company called Teach for the Philippines, which takes... Mm children from the Philippines and provides them educational opportunities they didn't have to teach them to be VAs or pursue other careers that they want to be. And we want to find a way to continue to give back to that community that we've benefited from so much. And hopefully it, we create another win-win for both the clients and the, the VAs as well.
1: That's fantastic. It's exciting stuff. And again, it's great when you're able to continue to leverage all that expertise and knowledge that you developed with your previous business. That's always a great thing to be able to do. So let's dive into it. You know, uh, virtual assistants, everybody listening knows what that is, but, but I want to start, I thought I would start there nonetheless at a high level, your perspective on, and from a small business owner's perspective how using VAs is so critical to starting and growing a business G- give us your perspective at a high level and then we'll dive down into some more of the components of growing a business with VAs.
0: yeah I mean we live at, at so we live in such a good time if you go back 20 30 years ago you if you wanted to start a business you needed an office added overhead you could only to hire the people in your town or the towns around you and you had to hire them full-time along with the other other benefits that, that go along with it and now as an entrepreneur you have the computer you have internet you can start a business with very little money i started both businesses with less than five thousand dollars and you get access to talent all around the world to complement your own skill set the average entrepreneur is only really good at one to three things one to three core competencies and the good entrepreneurs they figure out what those are and then they hire for all their weaknesses and you now get access to people all across the U.S., all across the world at different price points with different skill sets. You can hire them full-time, part-time. You can hire them project-based if you can't afford ongoing work or you just have a a one-time project or reoccurring project. So it just gives you so much flexibility to customize your hiring for what your business really needs. And if you're not taking advantage of that and you're not mastering that, you're really missing out and your competitors probably are. And hiring is a skill. It's something that they don't teach you in business school. I went to business school and it's something that's so important. And there are people that that have kind of given up on outsourcing. Maybe they have a a bad experience with a VA here or there, but you never hear someone say, oh, I tried marketing and it didn't work. So I'm just not going to market my business anymore. (laughs) Hiring is the same way. Just because you fail, you got to figure out a a process and figure out how do I get better at hiring? And and that all comes down to systems and processes.
1: Yeah. But so let's talk about that because the hiring part of it, as you were saying that, I think that's maybe part of the barrier as well. When I go to find a VA, if I don't go through an agency or a firm, I have to I have to know how to hire that person just as if I was hiring an employee. In other words, if I'm not good at hiring an employee, I'm probably not going to be very good on my own at hiring a VA. Now the flexibility is if it doesn't work out, it's a lot easier to end that relationship, but that doesn't, that doesn't help me necessarily. But, but is that part of why you think a small business owner struggle with it is I'm not good at hiring VAs either?
0: yeah, and I would even argue if you use the free up marketplace, which is fantastic, I still support them, they let's say you get a really good VA through free up. If you don't know what to do with them after the fact, that that only does so much good. So it definitely is a skill you have to master. And it's also one of those things that, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not something that you can't learn. If you learn our our care method for interviewing or our sick method for onboarding or our 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 share study show method SSS method for training or our barf method for for managing and keeping people around, those are skills that you can learn and implement and get better at over time and no one has a one hundred percent hiring record, but the people that get into that eighty to ninety five percent Those are the entrepreneurs that scale their businesses. The ones that are stuck in the 20 to 40% success rate, those are the ones that go in circles and, and get setbacks.
1: Yeah. We will continue with this episode of the How a Business podcast in just a minute. But before we do, let me ask you a few questions. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're even really actually ready to be your own boss? I'm excited to announce my new online self-paced course called Starting Your Business, Are You Ready? This course will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready, and if you're not quite ready now, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears, or maybe you are not entirely sure what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of becoming your own boss. I'll take you step by step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. You'll end up with a clear plan and a roadmap to get you ready to launch your first small business. I am currently offering a special discount for our listeners. So visit thehowabusiness.com to get your promo code or text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. If you want to find out more about starting your business, Are You Ready?, my online self-paced course. And again, to get your discount promo code, just visit thehowabusiness.com or text the word biz, to 31996. Let me help you get ready to become a successful small business owner. All right. So one of the great pieces of content you have in the news site is uh, what you call the key lessons that allowed us to sell the company with the remote team. And, And you've got a one, two, three, four, five, five topics. I think it is organization, delegation, scale, financials, and documentation. And what I love about this piece that you can go and get for free is that really, as I read through it, this is at the heart of building a business, regardless of using VAs, right? Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. And and, <laughs> and even off of that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times throughout the years I heard two things. I heard you can't sell a business if it's entirely remote. And I mentioned before that David and Mark didn't even meet the team before selling the company. And then the other thing I heard is you can't sell a business if, if you're the face of it, if you're the brand of it. And right. I was definitely the face of FreeUp. Whenever th- someone thought of FreeUp, they thought of me. But the key was, The day-to-day operations of free up the billing, the customer service, the social media, the recruitment, that all ran without me. The VA's handled that. Someone else can come in and change the marketing strategy, change the sales strategy, change the lead generation strategy. You can always come up with a better marketing strategy and remove me and, and change that. It's the day to day and the systems and the processes and how that runs that people really care about.
1: Yeah, so that's about. So, so is that the counter to that point, which is a valid point, that hey, you're, you're you. As soon as I buy your business, I don't know if I'm going to be able to maintain these VAs. I don't know if they're going to want to work with me now, so I might lose the business. Your argument is, well, wait a second, that's not the business. They're they're great. They're essential, but it's these systems that I've developed that are the key and the heart to the business. Is that fair?
0: Absolutely. And we went through this during due diligence with them. It's like, hey, what would happen if this person quit? What would happen if this person quit? And we had SOPs ready to go. And do we not want them to quit? Of course. Would it be suck if they quit? Definitely. It would take some time to replace them, but the processes are there and people are replaceable. People are expendable. So, and we went through with them too, just teaching them, hey, this is how we run meetings. This is how we engage them. This is how we treat them. And to their credit, not just Mark and David, but the entire team, they replaced Connor and I with, with six different people. Um, we're, we're so open to just learning and getting to know them and meeting with them one-on-one and, and building those relationships in that same way that we did. And really everything I'm teaching in the, this first course, how we interview, how we onboard, how we train, how we manage, we taught to them in that 90 days transition. They picked it up and they implemented it and they carried on pretty seamlessly.
1: Yeah. So, of these key lessons, then the one I want to dive into a little bit more is delegation because it touches on both sides of this, as you say in the paper, uh, so that the business is not 100% dependent on you, as you just articulated. The delegation component is one I want to get your thoughts on because it's one of the things we struggle with the most as small business owners. I know I have struggled with it and most people that I talk to. And in part is because, as, as the type of personalities that we are as entrepreneurs, a, you know, we've had to do it all initially. B, we think only we can do it best, and, and there's an ego attached to that. Um, and 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 C, sometimes I don't have the time to teach somebody else how to do this. So h- how did you initially learn how to delegate effectively? If you think back to at some point you probably weren't great at it. How do you think you got so good at it? <laughs>
0: So I think I went through what a lot of entrepreneurs go through. I I remember I I was making money for the first time and my parents told me I should probably pay taxes. So (laughs) I I met with an accountant and the first question he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. I was like, why would I do that? That's money in my pocket. They're going to steal my ideas. They're going to do a much worse job than I am. And, and I can, I love this business. I can do it seven days a week forever. And he's, he just laughed in my face and said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. So sure enough, my first busy season comes around fourth quarter, everyone's buying products on Amazon and I just get destroyed. I had taken too much onto my plate. I was working 20 hours a day just to keep this business alive. My social life plummeted. My grades went down. I was still in school and I made it to January and I kind of saw the light. I was like, if I want to scale this thing, that This is the only way I have to delegate i can 't keep adding stuff to my plate without subtracting them off my plate as well. so I went through really two exercises, and I credit Connor for for finding these The, the first exercise I did was I created a list of everything I did on a day to day week to week month to month basis and I prioritized it from easiest to hardest. I've seen other clients prioritize it from tasks they hate doing the most, but Mm. I gave each one a number value of how many hours it's took me a week. And I also assigned a dollar value. Hey, this is a $5 task. This is a $10 task. And from there, I was able to unload some of those tasks and get five hours a week back, 10 hours a week back. And we'll talk about SOPs and, and how I did that in a moment. But the second list Connor and I sat down and had a very uncomfortable meeting where for an hour, we just told each other what we were bad at, what the other person was bad at. So I would say, Connor, you're bad at this. And he would say, Nate, you're bad at this. And we would write everything down. And at the end, we realized we complimented each other very well. That was great. We divided up the business. You handle this. I handle this. But we also realized We had all these things on the list that neither of us were good at, but we were doing them every single week. So instead of hiring the VAs, the followers, where we had systems and processes to follow, we hired the specialists and the experts to come in and turn those weaknesses into strengths. And to me, that is a starting point of delegation where you can take the stuff you already know how to do create SOPs and hand that over to a VA and then take the stuff you're not good at. And instead of doing what a lot of entrepreneurs try to do and get good at everything or get right. good at the things they're bad at, we found people that were good at those things that like those things and gave them ownership of those tasks.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, and, and I think sometimes we do that Nate, because, um, well part of it is, Hey, I don't want to pay somebody else. I want that money in my pocket. So it's that, you know, it's that myopic view of it, but it's also, I think sometimes, uh, I, I, I'm the hero. I I can be good at everything. Darn it! You know, if I just put myself, if I put my mind to it, right? Uh, I yeah. think for you it was more about. Well, I don't want to pay anybody else. I want that money, right? It was very short-sighted at that point in time in your in your career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's also that worry factor. Everyone thinks mm. that someone's going to steal their business or or destroy it in some way. And yeah. I mean, most most people care a lot more about keeping their jobs and having a long-term relationship than they do about just jeopardizing your business in any way. And I always think to this Alex Sharfin quote, who's a free up client. um, He said, if you think you're the only one that can do the things that you do in your business, I have news for you. You're not that special. (laughs) It's such a good line because it's so true. We all think that that we're the only ones that can run the day to day of our business or do that one thing. And there's always someone out there that can do it way better than you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but our egos get in the way, right? And we want to feel like only only if we're there can this thing run. But in fact, though, as we started this conversation on this point, if our business is dependent on us, it's not worth much. Um, exactly. All right. So tell me about the, uh, the approach with the SOPs. SOPs mean standard operating procedures, right?
0: Yeah. So this is where I see a lot of people go wrong. You've got the steps, right? A lot of people know the middle of the SOP. You do step A, B, C, D, and you can start with a rough draft. You can make those steps better over time. You can do what I do, which is a little bit more advanced. And and I teach a VA to do something and then I have them create the SOP. And then maybe they get it 80% and I get it that last 20, or I develop it over time with the VA. So we all know the steps are in the middle. The part that people mess up or the two parts that people mess up are the top and the bottom. At the top, you need the why. Information about your business and why they're doing this specific task and how this task impacts your business. In addition to that, I like to throw in stuff about previous people I've hired for that role. For example, I hired Marius, who was one of my best hires. He was a bookkeeper, and I had fired two bookkeepers before him. So at the top, I explained why billing at Free up was so important, how I wanted it done, what my, my vision for the company was, and I explained, hey, these are the last two bookkeepers. I didn't mention them by name, but I said, here are all the things they did wrong. This is why they didn't work out. Here's what I'm really looking for. So before he even got to the steps, he had a big overview of the company, the vision, the team, why it's important, what didn't work, what's gonna happen if, if he goes in that direction, and what's expected of him. Then he got into the steps, which he helped make better over time. And then at the bottom, the important part that everyone forgets is the important reminders or what i call the do not do list. so hey, if our lawyer or account emails us, don't respond to that. let me know. hey, if our biggest biggest client emails us and you've been working here for less than 6 months, let us know. don't respond to that or tell them i'll call them back. or it could be if you're an amazon seller, like don't email seller performance for any reason. like things that that might get hidden. if you have 20 steps, it might be hidden in step 5b but you need to reinforce those things at the bottom to prevent hassle and you jumping in and 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 really when when entrepreneurs start jumping back in because someone messes up that's when they lose trust and then don't want to use VAs anymore so having that structure of the SOP the why the steps the do not do list is going to make it very easy for you to take stuff off your plate
1: yeah i love that thanks for breaking that down and i i i've used the um, the method of the steps having the VA develop that at least initially and then you work with them on it because I think that overcomes one of the objections of I don't have time to put together the SOP, right?
0: Yeah. And I'm a big fan of ownership. So in a part of the course and another podcast, I've talked about creating team leaders and assistant team leaders. Well, you don't want to just wake up one day and say, wow, I need a team leader. Who do I pick? You want to give VAs ownership of the tasks that you give them. And it could be the smallest data entry task, but you give them ownership. You're not only in charge of the task, you're in charge of the other people doing the task. You're in charge of the SOP. You're in charge of updating the SOP if we change the process and If you do that throughout your business, and let's say you have three to five VAs and you give them each ownership and you're checking in, people are going to stand out. You're going to see who really owns it, who really takes the next level, who really acts like an entrepreneur, which is what you want. And then when it's time for you to have a team leader, because you don't want to have 15 VAs that all report to you, at some point you need team leaders and assistant team leaders you're going to go to the people that have proven that they can take ownership of a task. And then you say, okay, are you interested in taking ownership of this team and taking it to the next level?
1: I see. I see. All right. Let's go back to free up, which if I understand correctly, you you had a team of 45 VAs, you and Connor, were there any permanent employees, W2 employees of free up?
0: No. So it's 35 full-time 10 part-time. We had no office and no USA employees what
1: why did you not have any employees at all
0: (laughs) it's funny so with my amazon business we we had a remote team and it was great and we we thought to ourselves man like we graduated college let's move to florida which is a whole nother story and (laughs) let let's like open up an office and let's pay all these people to relocate we'll put them in the office and we'll be more productive and, and we'll grow and we'll scale this thing and what ended up happening was we added overhead to a business that didn't need overhead. So it was one of my worst business decisions. And what we found is we took all these remote people and they weren't very productive in person. There was drama that had occurred that wasn't there remotely. We had felt like we created a nine to five job for ourselves to, That we had to come into and and all this other stuff so when we started free up we kind of the mentality of let's learn from that mistake let's not open up an office i have no desire to ever have an office again and and let's keep it remote and we also built relationships with some awesome people in the philippines that in our mind were just as good if not better than people in the us and what we kind of did is is we divided it up between the followers the doers and the experts so Followers would be for day-to-day operations, five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US. They have years of experience, but they're there to follow our systems, our processes. If we don't know how to do it, we can't hire a follower. Then we'd have the doers. These are freelancers, these are specialists, and we would hire both US and non-US, but these were contractors. They were doing projects for us. Graphic design, build our website, write for our blog, and we would just be one of their many other clients. And then for things that we needed experts for, We would hire, again, U.S. or non-U.S. These were people that would bring their own strategy, their own systems, their own processes. So we would hire an agency to run my Instagram. We'd hire a U.S. freelancer to Run our Facebook ads, and we would have we would just be one of their many clients, and they'd be running their own business. So we found a, a much better way to scale and grow this business remotely was hey, the followers would be VAs in the Philippines; they'd be the full time or close to full time people, and then the doers would be contractors that we would use as needed, and they would be business owners that we would buy the service from. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes sense. Thanks for that distinction for for the doers. If the objection I, I might throw at you is, well, what if they move on or they stop doing VA or something happens to them in their personal lives or they get, you know, taken full time by somebody else? You're, your exposure is limited there because you have the system in place to delegate that to the next person. Yeah, there's some transition time, but it's not great. Is that, is that how you would respond to that objection?
0: So that's one part of it is yeah everyone's replaceable we have systems and processes for everything the second part of it is what we call our BARF method which is a funny acronym but we teach it <laughs> in our course but it stands for getting them to buy in showing appreciation building a relationship and creating a family environment in your business B A R F and so with that we've, we we kind of learned from our Amazon business how to reduce turnover and I've talked to so many BAs I remember talking to VAs that were in the big group chat of all the VAs at free up. And I would ask them questions every single day because I wanted to learn. And I would say, Hey, what makes your favorite client? and in my head i'm thinking whatever client pays the most right, right like well, right. whatever or, is that or gives me favorite? the
1: most hours or you know i I, get, I can depend on the most or those kind of things right
0: yeah but the majority of answers were not that it was the client that made them feel a part of the business that showed them appreciation that built actual relationships with them and they enjoyed working with the team that that client had so with getting them to buy into your company and understand the vision and is incredibly important to getting them to stick around actually showing appreciation and not just talking to them when they mess up and saying, Hey, you crushed that project. This is how it impacted the business or great job. It's the end of the week. Go have a good weekend building the one-on-one relationship where you learn about their family, their culture. I'm actually the Chicky Ann who was my VA for eight plus years. I'm the godfather of one of her kids. We went to the Philippines, we met them and then building or building that family environment where the, the free up team, they loved each other. They love working with each other. Some of them that live close together, we would sponsor get togethers and, and meetups and, and they're all friends on social media. I'm kind of included in that. So when, when you kind of have a, a situation where everyone's buying in, they all feel appreciated. You have a relationship with them. Connor has a relationship with them and they're all one family. If someone comes in and offers them 50 cents more in an hour, are they really going to leave free up? They, they didn't. I mean, our turnover is less than 5%. And even after we sold free up, they're, they're continuing with them and moving on. So to me, that's the key that everyone misses because hiring is an investment. You're investing time, energy, and money into someone. And when you do that, you want them to work with you for years to come. And that, the BARF method is really the key to that.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm glad you explained that because my next suggestion was going to be how, how on earth do you build a team, a family environment when everybody is remote? And from what you're describing, it takes as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I have to be much more proactive than if everybody was in an office and I kind of just hid in the office every once in a while, I stick my head out or I might, you know, say something at lunch. It took you and Connor wanting to, that's gotta be part of your personality almost to reach out to these people, right? Because they're not there for that to just happen naturally, if you will.
0: Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of, it takes effort, but I wouldn't say it's a crazy amount of effort. I mean, you don't have to spend like 30 hours a week just having chit chat with people. That's not necessarily what it takes. And we've came up with a cheat sheet that gives you different topics, different things that you can have in meetings that you can message people at the beginning of the week, the end of the week that will get them to buy in over time. We'll get, we'll show appreciation over time, build the relationship, build the family. And it's not something that happens overnight, but you keep going in that direction. And, and over time, it really comes together and it happens and I, I can't tell you how many clients have started doing that and and actually saw that and have had their team together for, for years um, through through the free up platform yeah, so
1: yeah because yeah, technology technology now facilitates that a heck of a lot more as you mentioned at the outset we live in a in a special time where technology allows us to do this a lot better right
0: Yeah, and let let me give you the the smallest, easiest thing that you can do. You have a Monday morning meeting with everyone. I don't do the meetings on Zoom. I do it via Skype. Now I use Slack because Slack's a lot better, but it's all via text. So if someone misses it, they can go back, they can read the text. First thing we do to start off every Monday, Monday is everyone shows a picture of their weekend. One picture takes five to 10 minutes, if that. People laugh, people make jokes, people are excited, they, they get to bond, they get to learn about the other people on their team. What a great way to start the week. Now let's dive into the important but, stuff. But so there's no meeting.
1: video, it's all text that's going on. It's a text stream on Slack, is that what you're saying?
0: Absolutely. I mean, getting 35 people to be on video at the same time in a third yeah. world country doesn't work out very well. Yeah, you got to yeah. keep it via text.
1: I see. Plus then it's easier for me to scan back through that if I'm catching up or if I missed a meeting versus I'm probably not gonna watch a one hour recording of it. Is that part of it as well?
0: Yeah, and internet cuts in, internet comes out, stuff I say might get misinterpreted or it might go out and they might not hear it exactly. Text is a much clearer, better way in, in mm. my opinion.
1: Okay. All right, so you touched on this one. What, what about, you know, you, you focus on the Philippines, you use a lot of VAs from the Philippines. What about time differences and language barriers Tell me about that concern. So the language is actually
0: a plus. I mean, they learn English at a very young age. They, they learn it in school. Um, they they're One of the most common jobs in the Philippines is a call center, which you have to speak English well, but it's also graveyard shift, working U.S. hours. So a lot of people, um, so most of them speak English at a high level, the VAs the that We hired on our internal team. It was definitely something that's part of our interview process. They were fantastic. You could talk to them on the phone. If you email Joyce at freeop.com right now, you can set up a phone call and you won't even be able to tell the difference. In terms of time difference, it all depends on the person. And this is something that we go through both during the interview and the onboarding. Certain things you might need flexible schedule, certain things you might need Um, more nine to five, more set schedule. The thing that doesn't exist is the on-call and urgent where you expect someone to just sit around waiting for you to give them work. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, you message them and you say, I need this done now, now clock in. That's not gonna work at at all. So you either need some kind of flexible schedule where, hey, I don't care when you do the work, just check in with me every day at at 9 a.m., setting in those check-in points, or hey, you're working nine to five, or it could be a hybrid. Hey, you're working nine to noon and then the, the other 20 hours a week, those are flexible so figuring out the setup that you need that makes sense for your business and understanding that flexible schedule really means flexible schedule and you don't want to hire someone at flexible schedule and then try to change them to set schedule because they didn't agree to that to begin with and then making it incredibly clear to them during the interview process hey i'm looking for nine to five are you sure you can do that have you worked graveyard shift before tell me about your experience and then during the onboarding and we call the onboarding process our sick method where we present them with the offer. We make sure they're good with the rate, but then we go through schedule issues, communication and culture and make sure we're on the same page with every single one. Getting double confirmation for the important stuff like schedule and we give them a chance to back out. We would much rather they back out at the beginning or the middle or the end of the onboarding than for us to get two months into training them, and they tell us, oh, by the way, I'm struggling to work graveyard shift. We figure that out early and make sure that it's clear that there's no other option and that you should only take this if you're 100% happy with it. So if you do it properly, the schedule shouldn't be an issue. And we had out of the 35 full-time VAs, half of them worked US U.S. Eastern time with no problems.
1: Yeah. All right. This is a question I always ask with this type of things. For a small business owner who's never used a VA before, how do you recommend they get started? Yeah,
0: I'm obviously biased. I've got nothing to do with free up anymore, but but I definitely recommend checking them out if for the actual hiring. Before you actually go and hire, we have this VA calculator. So I mentioned to create those two lists, but the step before creating those lists is to understand what your budget is. So if you go to OutsourceSchool.com slash VA calculator, you can plug in the information of your business, how much money your business makes every month, and it'll tell you how many VAs you can afford. You put in how much you make, how aggressive you want to be. Normally, I spend between 20 to 30% of my profits on hiring. You might be more aggressive. You might be more conservative. But you get to plug that in and it'll say, hey, you can afford two full-time VAs. You can afford one part-time VA, whatever it is. And then once you understand what you can afford, then you can create those two lists. From those lists, the first list where you you write down all, all the things you have systems and processes for, you'll be able to figure out, hey, I should take these things off my plate. And then from there, I obviously recommend checking out the free on Marketplace to actually get your VA.
1: And and again, that that list is helped me identify what either I'm worst at or I hate doing the most. And I often try to look at, in addition to that or related to that, is of those things, what is the, the most repetitive or that it's done the same way every time maybe, or that maybe have already started documenting, that might be a good place to start. Do you agree with that? Yeah,
0: I personally like to figure out what is the least valuable task that's taking up the most of my hours, and that's what I take off my plate. Although I've worked with plenty of clients who just say, hey, what is the thing I hate doing the most, and let's take that off my plate first. Okay, all
1: right, fair enough. All right, we've been uh, talking about it uh, throughout the whole conversation, this course, Cracking the VA Code 1.0. When uh, you hear this episode, this uh, this course will be available. Uh, summarize for me what I'm going to learn in that course.
0: Yeah, so it's our IOTA method, which is IOTM, the interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And we're going to walk you through exactly how we interview virtual assistants. You're going to be able to see us real time, or not real time, but screen share, interview VAs for real that we got on free up. We put in a request. We created a job posting. We interview a bunch of them using our care process, and we'll walk you through how to do that. We're going to then onboard them. Again, you get to watch that and use our, our cheat sheet for onboarding that you can then apply to your own hires. From there, training them, going through our training process, how to create really good SOPs. We're going to give you templates for all of that. And then we've got the management part, which we're not only going to teach you the, the BARF method and how to keep them around and, and reduce turnover, but how to do task management, how to scale your team and, and create team leaders and assistant team leaders. And we have SOPs for, for team leaders when it gets to that point. So once you take this course, you're going to have a great foundation for, for getting a VA going in your business and building from there. and If this course goes well, we we just have so many ideas for stuff like how to use a VA to go on podcasts or software that's going to help complement it and help build SOPs for you. So we have a lot of stuff coming, but it all kind of starts with our first course, Cracking the VA Code RIOTA Method.
1: And what's the investment, Nate? What's the cost?
0: So it's nine ninety seven is going to be that course. We are going to be opening it for a week for for pre-launch um, at half price. I think this is actually going to go out after that, um, but nine ninety seven is going to be the cost of that course.
1: Okay, good stuff. All right, we'll start to wrap it up here. Book recommendations, you know, I always ask about that. Last time you were on, which was a while ago, uh, you had a couple of recommendations, the Everything Store, which was about Amazon and uh, delivering happiness uh, from the founder of Zappos. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend?
0: Yeah. Hatching Twitter is a fantastic book. I finished reading it a few weeks ago and it kind of gives you a behind the scenes of the ugly side of a a scaling business. I think everyone sees Twitter and the success, but it's really four people that started off as friends that it turned into a power struggle that they all tried to get revenge on each other and it got ugly and it got ugly quick. So it's just a fantastic story, a little behind the scenes of a business going from a bad idea that failed to changing, to getting investors, to eventually going public, to switching CEOs in and out. And just a fantastic book for anyone that, that wants a glimpse behind the, a big company.
1: Hmm, Fascinating. I had not heard about that. And it's certainly in light of the, the great partnership that you and Connor have had, I'm sure it was um, an interesting read, right? <laughs> Absolutely. If nothing else. Uh, all right. Time management. I also am curious. I'm always asking people now about a time management technique hack tool it can be something very simple. Is there something that you think of over the last year in particular that has really helped you in time management?
0: So this is one thing I figured out about two years ago. I tried to figure out what part of the day am I most productive and how do I take my most important thing for that day and put it at that time. And I've kind of gone around shuffling my schedule back and forth and the sale obviously shook that up as well. And for me, my most productive time is between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. So what I do now is I wake up, whatever is most important, I crank out right away. I then go to the gym at 9 a.m., get workout out from 9 to 10. I used to work out at the end of the day. I, I moved it there. And then I go to the phone calls and the podcast and the other stuff. So I kind of get whatever I need to get done that day for my business done right away. And then I have the rest of the day to, to kind of focus on me and focus on the other stuff I have going on.
1: I love that. So So before that time block, are you... Not looking at emails or any other fires or things that people that need you urgently, are you blocking that out? How are you managing that
0: yeah, so so I wake up around six thirty and for the first thirty minutes, I walk the dog now I learn Vietnamese at the same time I'm walking the dog because that's <laughs> my new project. Uh, my fiance's Vietnamese, and that's something I took on once I sold free up um, and then I meditate and then I start my day and then I go to the gym after the two hours so in the the first three four hours of my day i've I've gone for a walk. I've learned Vietnamese. I've meditated. I've gone to the gym and I've gotten my most productive thing for the day done. And then from there I have the podcasts and the phone calls for a few hours. And then by four o'clock I'm done. And I usually count on my fiance because I think like most entrepreneurs, I'm always tempted to check in and talk to Connor and do other stuff, but she keeps me very distracted and, and keeps the phone away from me. So I think that's part, some part that I continue to try to get better and better at, but I've definitely gotten better at it since the sale. I think just the nature of free up, um, kind of had it going all the time. And, and now I I've I kind of structured it a little bit better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've gotten to this point in your entrepreneurial career and you've, you've earned it. So congratulations on that.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: All right. Let's summarize it. One thing, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about cracking the code on virtual assistance from a small business owner's perspective.
0: Yeah, don't give up. I mean, hiring's hard. You you can learn, you can focus on, on what you can control. There's so many things out there that you can't control from personal issues, from someone else hiring your people, whatever it is. Focus on what you can control. And what you can control is your processes for everything. You need an interview process, you need an onboarding process, you need a training process, you need a managing process, you even need a firing process, which we have in there. So everything becomes a process that you slowly get better and better over time. And if you treat it that way, you're going to see your hiring percentage creep up and up and up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I also, you know, I mean, what you've helped me with is kind of realize that the ability to delegate to a VA is also a test of how, how dependent or not your business is on you. And, and even if we were not delegating to VAs, that's critical to any business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the whole, uh, I forget who came up with this, but it's like, what happens if you get hit by a bus? If it's all in yeah. your head, your business is gone. If yeah. <laughs> if you have documents, then, then it should be able to carry on without you. And if, if you're not at that point yet, it, you don't have to be at that point tomorrow, but you should be at least going in that direction.
1: Absolutely. All right. Where do you want us to go online to find out more? Yeah, so if you go to OutsourceSchool.com slash
0: calculator, you can grab that calculator. You can also join our newsletter right on the site and connect with me. I love meeting with other entrepreneurs, Nathan Hirsch on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, Real Nate Hirsch on Twitter and Instagram. I'm probably one of the easiest people to contact. I love connecting with people. So feel free to reach out to me if I can help you in any way. And um, yeah, that's it.
1: Wonderful. And we'll have all of those links as well as the link to the new course, Cracking the VA Code, on the show notes page of this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Nate, I knew this would be a great conversation once again. Thanks so much for coming back on. I look forward to we've stayed connected throughout the years. So I look forward to seeing what you all do with this new venture and all the great work you're doing and what comes next. So, thanks again for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was Nate Hirsch. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, theHowabusiness.com. You can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, B-I-Z to 31996, and I'll reply with the link to the show notes page. That's where you can get everything about Nate and his course and find all the other information that we have at the howabusiness.com. Thanks
0: for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.